Hello and welcome to World Canvas. I'm Joan Kerr for International Programs at the University of Iowa, and thank you for joining us. In this program, we'll address concerns about the present and future danger of the 2019 novel coronavirus. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, and governmental and medical personnel around the world, and here in Iowa, are working together to better understand and track the transmission and virulence of this new strain of coronavirus, while at the same time providing advice advice and guidance about how best to control its spread. Although the number of cases of coronavirus in the U.S. is still very small, public concern remains strong. I'm pleased to be joined by expert guests from UI hospitals and clinics, the Iowa State Hygienic Lab, UI Student Health, and UI International Programs, who are here to discuss the virus and its potential for harm here in Iowa, as well as the measures the university is taking to inform, protect, and support its students, its staff, faculty, and the surrounding community. With me here tonight are Jorge Salinas, hospital epidemiologist at UI Hospitals and Clinics. Thank you, Dr. Salinas, for being here. And uh, just next to him is Dr. Michael Pantella, the director of the Iowa State Hygienic Lab, also clinical professor in the College of Public Health here at the University of Iowa. Thank you, Dr. Pantella. And Paul Natvig is interim director of student health at the University of Iowa. Thank you, Dr. Natvig, for being here. And Russ Gannam, Associate Provost and Dean of International Programs at the University of Iowa. Thank you for being here. Uh, Jorge, I'd like to start with you so that we can get uh, our heads wrapped around the sort of medical and epidemiological um, uh, issues related to this coronavirus. Tell us what it is and why it is so dangerous. Um, <clears throat> correct. So there are, uh, so coronavirus in general uh, have uh, adapted to, uh, to the human host, uh, there are now seven known uh, types of coronaviruses. Uh, four of them uh, cause the common cold, huh? and uh, you can have them in the winter or the summer. Then um, in the last 20 to 30 years, we've learned of um, new uh, types of coronavirus. Uh, one of them was uh, SARS. Um, that uh, led to a global uh, epidemic that was fortunately contained mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Uh, in the last decade, uh, we've uh, discovered another one called uh, MERS coronavirus that was identified in the uh, Middle East associated with um, a link or, or being close to camels. However, person-to-person uh, -person transmission was also documented. And uh, now this is the, the seventh uh, coronavirus, uh, this uh, uh, SARS-2 or uh, COVID-19 um, coronavirus. Um, this uh, coronavirus was initially uh, discovered or initially reported uh, in uh, people that uh, either worked or visited a wet market in uh, Wuhan city in uh, Hubei province of China. Um, and although initially it was believed to be uh, transmitted from animals uh, to humans, and, and that was uh, initially was believed that only it could be acquired from being in contact with animals, it, it, uh, in the last few weeks we've uh, discovered uh, that this, is, this virus is uh, very transmissible from human to humans, uh, and it has led to a, a large uh, epidemic in a mostly in China, but now occurring also in much smaller numbers in, in neighboring countries. But it has also traveled to uh, 
to other continents. There have been cases reported in Europe, Africa, the Americas, uh, etc. So we know about influenza uh, here in the States. People are always encouraged to get a flu shot. We know that influenza can be very damaging and kills lots of people every year. Uh, How does this particular virus compare to to what we see with influenza? In some uh, respects, it's uh, similar to influenza. This seems to be uh, uh, similarly contagious, uh, uh, but the clinical manifestations were still... uh, discovering and learning about. But uh, for certain, uh, for some individuals, uh, predominantly young individuals, this uh, virus seems to cause a relatively mild uh, syndrome that can go from being completely symptomatic to having a, a cold, runny nose. Sometimes it could just be runny nose and some cough. Some people can have fevers, but it can, the disease can be more severe in uh, older individuals and people that have uh, other chronic medical conditions such as heart failure, diabetes, uh, COPD, etc. And uh, in them it can cause a uh, pneumonia that can be severe and uh, unfortunately it can lead to death in in a small proportion of cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell us what the treatment regimen is when someone comes down with coronavirus? Um, because this virus is so new, we don't have any uh, conclusive evidence that there is a, a specific treatment against it. Uh, if somebody develops uh, mild symptoms, the treatment is supportive care, staying at home, remaining hydrated, etc., and people will get better. If they develop uh, more uh, severe symptoms, they may require uh, oxygen supplementation, hospitalization. If they develop uh, severe pneumonia, they may require uh, mechanical ventilation and uh, you know, a more prolonged uh, hospitalization. There are a number of um, uh, treatments or antiviral regimens that are being studied currently uh, that uh, were potentially effective against other types of coronavirus, but we don't have Uh, any conclusive evidence that those treatments uh, do work against this type of virus. Do we see the potential for a pandemic here? You did mention how it has moved beyond China. Uh, Yes, uh, at this uh, moment, 98 to 99 percent of uh, cases are still uh, uh, reported uh, out of China, but uh, somewhat rapidly uh, we are learning of uh, either imported cases into other countries or uh, evidence of uh, local transmission in uh, either neighboring countries such as South Korea, uh, Singapore. And uh, in the last couple of days, there's been reports of uh, cases in uh, Iran, Mm -hmm. Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, and um, also from the uh, uh, somewhat unfortunate uh, experience of these uh, cruise uh, ships stationed in uh, in Japan, where uh, uh, nearly two to three thousand people were uh, quarantined together, and uh, about six hundred people uh, acquired um, this infection, we uh, we have that has provided further confirmation of how uh, transmissible mm-hmm. this uh, virus is. 
if uh, if things continued moving in this uh, in this uh, direction, it it, it wouldn't uh, be surprising to uh, to know that uh, other countries will have mm -hmm. uh, local transmission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, what are the best ways for people wherever they might be living to to prevent um, uh, becoming infected with the virus? Uh, fortunately, the um, the preventative measures are very similar for most respiratory viruses. Uh, uh, we need to uh, perform uh, hand hygiene frequently with either soap and water or using an alcohol-based uh, hand rub. If somebody's sick, they should uh, stay at home. Um, if they have a cough, they uh, should have uh, or perform a cough etiquette. Uh, covering uh, their cough with their elbow or with a tissue, and then perform a hand hygiene. Uh, our classic uh, recommendations against uh, influenza virus, uh, we are in the, in the midst of, uh, of the influenza season uh, here in Iowa, and uh, that's a, a good, a very effective way of preventing acquiring influenza and other uh, infections. Uh, it's always important to say that even though uh, it may not prevent these novel coronavirus. Uh, obtaining a, a flu vaccine is, is always a good thing to do, and uh, it can uh, well it can prevent you from having influenza or from having severe influenza, and uh, it can uh, not having influenza. It's good enough, eh? but also it can uh, reassure you. Uh, you will feel good. You you won't have concerns that you may have these uh, novel coronavirus. Uh, also um, because. Uh, uh, a uh, relatively small proportion, but it's still not uh, sure how how small it is, of uh, cases uh, reported with corona with this infection out of China, have been documented to have uh, co-infections, so having other viruses uh, with it. So preventing uh, the acquisition of influenza is is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. What do you think, from the point of view of an epidemiologist? What what are the biggest challenges at this moment? Well, uh, at this uh, moment, uh, well, the entire world is uh, working very hard to uh, to prevent the spread of this uh, virus. We're still in the uh, in a phase of containment, try, trying to prevent it from entering uh, the United States, and every country is doing you know, a similar job. But uh, if this virus uh, is as uh, transmissible as influenza. Uh, we may uh, eventually, and time will tell, uh, need to transition to other uh, strategies uh, of, uh, to try to, to prevent uh, dissemination among the population. But at this moment, we don't have any uh, conclusive ev evidence, any evidence at all of, uh, of transmission of uh, the novel coronavirus in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, so, um, Michael, um, from the point of view of uh, public health, uh, how, how do you and your colleagues see this issue with coronavirus? What level of worry? Well, it's not really a level of worry. I think it's uh, a matter of concern and watching as we watch for emerging pathogens uh, at all times uh, from a public health perspective mm -hmm. uh, to be ready to detect them and ready to implement the right public health response. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really a good sign, as Hori is saying, that we don't see any 
transmission in the United States occurring locally. Uh, we've had 13 cases now, and there's been uh, only two of those are cases in which it was transmitted to a close household member. Uh, the other 11 cases had traveled overseas to where the viral activity was occurring. So consequently, uh, I'm real uh, happy with the public health response, and it makes me pleased that things are going well to contain the virus, mm -hmm. and as far as the United States is concerned at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, efforts in the future, as Hori is describing, will need to evolve because things will have to change to meet the needs at the time. Uh, I think uh, this opportunity of the delay of transmission in the United States that we're not seeing is really a good thing for us to become prepared for what could happen in the future. Uh, the uh, test development so that we can detect cases quickly is very important because if you don't know what's occurring and transmission is occurring, you can't prevent it. But uh, since we've had this window of opportunity, I think this is a big help for containment in the future. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us, you're also the director of the State Hygienic Lab. Um, for these kinds of issues, even something other than coronavirus, when there is something that the people in, in your business are concerned about, how, how do you feel about Iowa's preparedness? Winter comes every year. Influenza seems to come every year. Um, uh, when you prepare for something that may not hit as hard, like a coronavirus, but which on the other hand might, uh, what do you do uh, in terms of uh, rallying your colleagues around the state, medical personnel? Mm -hmm. Well, at the State Hygienic Lab, we're in partnership with many agencies throughout the state, and the, primarily the Iowa Department of Public Health. Uh, they have led efforts to practice and with drills and exercises and conversations to be prepared for emergencies like this. And we've faced emergencies in the past, in the past decade, I can think of at least four times in which we've been called upon for emergency response to help in a variety of situations. But uh, our role at the State Hygienic Laboratory is to detect the pathogens and report good, accurate data to public health officials so that they can take the right actions. And I know that through our work with CDC and the Iowa Department of Public Health, that we're ready to respond. And each time is a little different. I was uh, recalling before we started uh, that in 2006, and some may, in the audience may remember, we had a mumps outbreak. Yeah. That was highly uh, a big surprise for us because it was occurring in people who had received vaccine for mumps mm -hmm. and two doses of vaccine. Yet we had thousands of tests come into the laboratory and we detected hundreds of cases of mumps at that time. So we, we faced challenges like this before, and I know that uh, we are prepared to do it again. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I uh, am aware that um, both you in, in your office and also at the hospital, um, people who are working on uh, teams, um, considering what to do should something happen here, um, have uh, 
monitored and regularly monitored WHO, uh, CDC, um, you know, national, regional, state um, operations, uh, such as you've mentioned here. And I suspect when it's something that's that has not yet hit your own area, but is extremely serious, as we see in other places in the world, you have to go to these larger organizations. You have to go to these um, monitors who can be on the ground in these other locations. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joan. We are in constant contact with conference calls almost daily, oh. with conference yeah. calls with the Centers for Disease Control, CDC in Atlanta, and uh, they are discussing the situation updates. We receive updates daily mm -hmm. by email, and we get lots of information that is occurring, and we also monitor ourselves on web pages and various listservs and things mm -hmm. to see what's happening. And our role at the State Hygienic Lab is to take that important information and share it with our partners in Iowa. So, for example, at the hospital, university hospital, we share information with them that might be pertinent to their needs, as well as student health in all the labs throughout the state. We've sent oh, probably at least a dozen emails so far on this topic to help those labs throughout the state at their hospitals and facilities be ready for the testing that might need to occur mm -hmm. to detect these cases? What kind of specimens will they need to collect? How will they transport those specimens to uh, the state hygienic laboratory? The typical specimen is a nasal pharyngeal swab or a throat swab. So that kind of specimen will be taken from a suspectedly infected patient and shipped to the laboratory for testing. And then it's important that they know how they will get the results. So not only do you have to take care of the transport to get the sample, you have to make sure they can quickly get the results to them, and that's usually by electronic reporting. So uh, we have to be able to send it out and be connected to the Iowa Department of Public Health so they can get that information at the same time for their monitoring at the epidemiologist there. So it, the preparation for it is multiple steps, and each time you face a new pathogen, you have to put processes in place for that particular pathogen. Right. So you have to be constantly aware and ready to respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, that, that actually ties in nicely with what we're going to talk to both Paul and Russ about, because here on the university campus, um, there's there have been working groups uh, ever since this uh, virus was discovered to be so um, concerning, and um, both Paul and uh, Student Health and Russ here with international programs um, have been involved in, in um, considering what we need to do here at the university to both inform ourselves and then also uh, take the necessary measures to make sure students, faculty, staff, the community are safe and uh, well-informed. So let me go to you, Paul, and I just ask you about student health. So we learned about this outbreak that became very serious at the very end of last year in China. Um, I'll talk to Russ about this as well, but some of our students traveled to China. Many of the students at the university are from China, have family there. And um, what kinds of concerns developed with you early on? I, I've told the story too, right before this happened, I was, I, had an agenda item with our next provider meeting to talk about, hey, we should think about a mock drill. If something happened on the university, affects students, how would we be prepared? Uh, coronavirus was not on my radar as a yeah. psychiatrist. If I learned about that in medical school, I forgot, but uh, mm -hmm. it was not on our radar. Mm -hmm. 
we kind of quickly figured out too, like other people too, that this was gonna affect uh, our students. And, and of course our concern is gonna be the safety of our students, the safety of the campus. Uh, as Russ mentioned in the past, when the mumps outbreak hit, you know, we were very much involved. And these things, you know, sort of what I've learned is that you, you've gotta be ready on the fly. And, and something I did wanna to convey to people uh, who don't understand all the work that's been going on behind the scenes. And people are experts in this. So, so we certainly know that we're not, we have experts like Dr. Salinas, Dr. Pentel. We reach out to them. They have experts they reach out to. And so we certainly aren't gonna tell people what to do, but we're gonna be partners. Um, but we recognize, as other people did, that we had a number of students who would have been traveling over the winter break. Mm -hmm. I think the timing of this just, uh, there's no good time for it, but it, mm -hmm. uh, with the Lunar New Year celebrations, there were, a lot of students coming back, you know, so this was all kind of coming on as, as classes were starting. Um, and so, our, you know, again, our first concern was safety. We also quickly learned that we, we were really concerned about uh, the students, even the ones who hadn't traveled were worried. So we've done a lot of uh, education. I think that's probably been the more important thing. We certainly have evaluated students and we, we've done those things appropriately, uh, but a lot of it is educating and working with communication. So. You know, I want to say too, I've worked at the university for a long time, I'm a student here. I'm not surprised, but I was just very impressed with how everybody worked together um, from communications on this side of the river, communications in the hospital, us, uh, Dr. Salinas, good communication. I think people are on board, uh, but, but also being sensitive to what, what was going on with the students, how they had worries about their families back home. And so, uh, so again, we did a lot of outreach. We did see students in, in the clinic and with each day, everything was evolving. You know, by the next day, there would be a new guideline. And, and, but we, everything was communicated to us as Iowa Department of Public Health would communicate things. We learned about things. Uh, and so I think we were always a, even a step ahead, I mm -hmm. think, of where people were. But we also knew that that was our job. It wasn't the job of everyone in the community to worry. Um, the people we reached out to appropriately got back to us. You know, this was clear it was only affecting people who, who traveled from those areas. And so really the rest of the community didn't need to be concerned, uh, but, uh, and I think that's appropriate. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And have you had a number of students come in for counseling for, for just general concern? I would say what we have worked with is the education. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the students have appreciated that. I think just knowing that they can contact us, that they can, we've had some who just wanna keep touching base with us, let us know how they're doing. Uh, we've reached back out to students after we talked to them just to make sure they're doing okay. Um, we have uh, referred some to the counseling. The counseling service uh, has met some who, who are nervous. Again, a lot of what we found is that they're worried about their family back sure. home. It, you know, and we have some staff who have family back in China. Uh, and, and that's, uh, in some ways, I think they're bigger distress mm -hmm. almost than, I think early on there was a lot of education. I think people had misconceptions about what it is, what you needed to do. We had people asking, should everybody be tested? Well, that that is not feasible, And but everyone can be evaluated. Everyone can be talked to, and I think that's what we did a very good job of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Russ, let me bring you into this. So um, your deanship in international programs began on January 1st, and this is one of the first things that, that uh, you know landed in your lap. Um, but what did uh, international programs do once this became a, a matter of concern uh, to get connected, of course, with the people who are, 
who are here uh, with you today, but also to begin to message out to its own students through advisors and so on, right. where they could go. I mean, our focus was on really three things, uh, communication, resources, and support. Um, so just to echo kind of what, what Paul said is that this happened, the outbreak occurred at a very critical time. It was at the beginning of the semester, and even though most of our students were already back, okay, the domestic and international students, there were still some who were coming in late. And so we had to deal with that 14-day waiting period. Um, and we got a lot of emails um, saying, well, uh, I know of a student uh, who is uh, who just returned from China and who is coughing and sneezing and what should we do? Uh, so we referred them to the resources. We um, worked with Iowa Now, Strategic Communications, also published several graphics, both in uh, English and Chinese, uh, to instruct students on, on what to do. Um, many students were worried about cost if they wanted to see someone in, uh, in student health or elsewhere. We assured them that they wouldn't have to pay anything. They're also worried about privacy. Uh, and we assured them there as well that their names would not be revealed, so everything would be confidential. So we think that that, that helped at least um, calm things to, to a certain degree. Um, we also try to get out the message that, fortunately, we are a medical campus. We have all sorts of resources we can handle uh, uh, situations such, such as these. We have emergency protocols in place. Uh, in fact, even just uh, 10 days ago, Brooks Jackson, who is the, the Vice President for Medical Affairs, gave a presentation to the Regents uh, basically confirming that we have everything uh, that, that we need to uh, handle a situation su such as this. So we take things very, very seriously, but we want to reassure folks at the same time that um, there are ways to manage the situation and that we can take care of people if indeed they are they are stricken with, with the virus. Fortunately, there aren't any cases in, in Iowa, um, and that's been, and, and, and that situation has held really since um, uh, the outbreak occurred. So we're, we're pleased with that. I guess the other thing that, that I would say is that things sort of, I look at, I look at the evolution of how things have uh, unfolded over the last, say, three to four weeks, is that we've gone from sort of the medical phase, as it were, sort of uh, getting information out on where to go if indeed you are feeling sick and you think you might have been exposed, to sort of the, the social phase. Um, there are some of our students uh, on, on campus who have been singled out because of their perceived national origin. Uh, we have heard of some incidents of bullying and targeting. Uh, our messaging has underscored that this is not to be tolerated. We've worked with student government, both UISG and GPSG, to reinforce that, that message. Um, and that we are, uh, again, conveying the notion that we are an open, welcoming place that can deal with problems and that uh, everyone is, should be made to feel comfortable and included uh, in our campus community. Um, and that, uh, uh, again, the medical facts underscore that there are no cases in Iowa there have not been any, uh, there's not been additional concern as well. So we are in a relatively good position. At the same time, um, people need to understand that 
ours is a tolerant community and that uh, we in no way can discriminate against others because of where someone thinks they might be from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now that we have uh, made it through some of the harshest um, times of winter, we're coming on to spring break. There will be a lot of people traveling. I, I think I'll go to you, uh, Dr. Salinas, uh, for a question about what we should be doing now, what we should be thinking now. Should we be imagining, oh, the worst of it has passed and, um, you know, just kind of feel quite at ease, not only here in the U.S., but in other parts of the world? Or do we have a long road ahead with this virus, do you think? I don't think that this uh, epidemic is over. Um, uh, many countries are working again we have very hard to contain it. But uh, we keep learning about it every day. Uh, and there are, there's a potential for new cases in, in other countries. Uh, the best thing that we can do is uh, rest assured that our public health officials are working 24-7 to uh, assess the situation and to provide us with guidance. Uh, currently, uh, the, the federal government, CDC, etc., has uh, recommended against uh, visiting China, for example. And they may update uh, their travel uh, advisories uh, depending on the risk of acquiring this infection in other countries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a, a question that has uh, come up, I think, quite often, um, does a face mask help prevent uh, infection, infecting someone else or, or in fact, uh, you as a recipient of a potential virus? Correct. So uh, it, it's unclear whether those uh, masks uh, do uh, much or help much. Um, they, are, they probably help if uh, you are sick and if you put that mask on, it may prevent the spread of infection from you to others. But if you um, are healthy, uh, it, it helps little. Perhaps its only effect is that uh, it, uh, it appears to decrease the frequency of us touching our own face, mm -hmm. which is uh, one way in which uh, these viruses can be transmitted. Uh, but other than that, it, it doesn't necessarily decrease the, the amount of um, uh, infectious particles, if there were mm. any in the air. Uh, it, I don't think it, it, it prevents effectively uh, inhaling uh, these, um, these or any other uh, airborne microorganism. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else any of you would like to add before we close out the discussion? Um, just a, a couple of things from the, the academic side, um, and that is that... We canceled all programming to China uh, for the spring semester. We won't be running any programs in the summer either. Um, our colleagues or our, our sister institutions across the United States have done the same thing. Um, we will see the effects of the coronavirus in our international student enrollment. Um, we can't recruit in China now because the country is, is basically closed. Um, so there will be repercussions. I mean, even if the situation stabilizes from a medical point of view, uh, from an academic standpoint and a cultural standpoint, um, we will see less exchange between the United States and, and China for, I think, at least a year and a half. Um, and that's uh, counting on the fact that things will return more or less to normal sometime late spring, early summer. Um, but again, there's no guarantee of, of that. So the repercussions of the virus, I think, are quite serious. Um, and so we're going to be dealing with it for quite some time. 
Well, I want to say thank you so much, uh, Russ Gannam and Paul Naftig and uh, Michael Pentella and also Jorge Salinas just next to me here. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, World Campus programming is available on iTunes, the Public Radio Exchange, and the International Programs website. Hope you can join us for the next World Canvas at Merge in downtown Iowa City on March 26th. That program is called All Eyes on Korea, and I hope to see you there. I'm Joan Kerr for UI International Programs. Thank you for joining us.